Good evening, everybody. Glad you came back to church. Hallelujah. We're going to have a beautiful service. We'll lay hands on everybody in a minute and just go crazy. Just go wild. Have church of every kind. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, and thank you, Lord, for your beautiful word. Thank you for the beautiful opportunity that you give us all, God, to learn, to grow, to become more effective, more functional, more anointed, more dangerous, and make us all weapons in your hands, Lord. Teach us how to war. Train us how to win. Teach us, Lord, in the school of discipleship how to walk in the Spirit and after the Spirit, how to be led by the Spirit, and how to please you in every way, in all aspects of life. And we choose you as our Savior. We also choose you as our Lord. We choose you as our King, as our Master, as our God, as our Father. We choose you, God in every aspect of life, to be the most important person in our lives. And we give you glory and honor and praise. Bless your word and glorify your name. Hallelujah. All right, so just in the book of 2 Corinthians, very powerful. Uh, let me recap a little bit. So we're speaking of weapons tonight, more weapons Remember that a weapon that is unused is of no value. So owning a weapon is not the secret of getting a benefit from a weapon. The benefit of a weapon is you use it when you have an enemy breaking into your house or stealing your chicken. You do what you got to do. A weapon is there for a purpose. It's not there for decoration, and it's not there just so you can look at it and say, ooh, I feel safe because I have a weapon. So if you're not going to learn how to use the weapon, also it does you no good. If you don't know where the trigger is, if you, if you don't know how to load it, if you don't know how to unload it, if you don't know how to take the safety off, <laughs> these are really important lessons that you have to learn when you have a weapon. In the spirit, it's exactly the same way. So you may say that you have weapons, but if you don't know how to use them and you've never used them, then they're really of no spiritual benefit to you. So you have to start using the weapons of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10, though we live in the flesh, we don't walk after it. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God being ready at all times to punish all forms of disobedience. And it goes on and on. So our weapons are supernatural weapons. They have special powers. So look at it like this. The weapons you have been given by God have supernatural powers. They are the superpowers of your walk with God. These are the superpowers. They are the weapons. And you must master these weapons and know exactly how to use them to get the most benefit out of it in your walk with God. So, the alternative to that is to be weaponless, to not be weaponized, 
to not ever use your weapons, not even, not even know what your weapons are, and to just live your Christian life at the mercy of life. You don't want to have your life at the mercy of this life. You also don't want to have it at the mercy of the devil or of demons or of the world or of people or of circumstances or of your DNA. You want to live above all that through the powers of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, because you decide one day, I am going to weaponize myself, then you put your own family in a much more prosperous position, and you prepare your children by positioning your children and training your children in all of this weaponry. You begin at an early age to teach them what the weapons are that God has made available to them, and you make them little soldiers and little warriors so that when they face a crazy world that is rapidly changing, every 12 months, more radical changes are happening worldwide. And so your children are going to have to be prepared to deal with that after you're gone. And so to leave a child untrained and unprepared is really, really bad because it's not a loving thing for a parent to do. If you were living in a place where there were wolves, then you would teach your child and your children what to do to protect themselves from those animals and also how to kill those animals or how to trap those animals or how to whatever it is that you have to do to survive in wolf country. Hallelujah. So you're in wolf country. In this world, everybody out there sits in these positions. So you have the devil being a wolf disguised in sheep's clothing, and he will tear and rip you. You have the devil disguised as a snake. He is a snake. He is poisonous, very dangerous. He is also a dragon. The Bible calls him the red dragon that was cast out of heaven by God. Dragons don't exist, so those are the figments of your imagination, and that is the worst of all because imagination that is not disciplined by the Word of God becomes paranoia. And so once you become paranoid, then you're powerless and useless to do what God wants you to do with authority, with confidence, and with power. Hallelujah. Satan doesn't recognize your name. He recognizes Jesus' name. He doesn't recognize your personality. He recognizes the authority that you have abiding inside of you because demons know your spiritual level and your spiritual walk because they can discern the anointing that is on you or not on you. Just like when the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts saw the disciples casting out demons, and they said, let's us go and cast out some demons. So they went and found a demon-possessed person. They went to that person, and they tried to cast out the demons, and the demons spoke to them and said, who are you? Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? And it says the demons turned on them and beat them all up. So you have a level of authority. Or you don't. You have a level of power. Or you don't. You have a, lever, a, a level of anointing. Or you don't. You've got to decide. Because if you don't have the anointing of the Holy Ghost, you can't accomplish the feats of the Holy Spirit. That comes from being anointed by God to accomplish those things. 
We could have never built the orphanages. We could have never done what we're doing around the world if there was not an anointing on somebody to do it. Somebody had to have an anointing to get all the stuff done. And so it's the same with this church. Somebody had an anointing to build this church, to build this building, to fill this building, to get a vision from God. And so those anointings are revealed to you as you win battles. Nothing is revealed when you lose battles because you're too uh, occupied with recovering from the damage of the battle. So you're distracted. We need victory so we can see into the future, undisturbed by Satan in any way. When Satan is under your feet, you don't have to worry about him. You can look forward to what God is trying to build and God is trying to create. Hallelujah. So um, to recap, we, we, we spoke to you of the first three weapons, which were the word of God, the name of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus. These are your three most important weapons. They are the beginning of your training as a believer in warfare, that if you don't know how to use the Bible as a sword, you don't know how to use the Bible as a weapon, then you are going to be extremely weak. So you can order that tape that I did last time I was here, which was in, um, what month are we in now? March, so that would have been last September, and we went over the Word of God, the name of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus. Praise the Lord. Then we also spoke to you about the power of prayer, the power of praise, and the power of worship. All three separate weapons and how they work and how important they are. I don't know if I got past that, but I don't think I did. But just in giving you as many weapons as I can tonight, we also have the weapons of faith, love, and holiness. These are very powerful weapons that you must equip yourself with. You have to become a master of faith. Faith moves mountains. Faith creates substance, and faith brings the realities of heaven into your reality. Faith is a shield, and faith is a protection. Faith is something Satan is scared of and demons are scared of, because faith is a living substance, invisible substance that is with you, and demons bounce off of faith. Demons can only destroy you when you're walking in unbelief, in doubt, and in fear. But if you have real faith, then they're going to get out of the way because you're going to have the authority, because of faith, to remove it. Faith produces miracles. Faith produces signs and wonders. Faith produces breakthroughs. Faith changes the atmosphere. Faith changes your life. Faith changes your merit. By faith, Hebrews 11, the whole book, by faith, they did all these amazing things. And so you, as a man or a woman of God, have to have that supernatural weapon in full operation so you can have your own list of by faiths. So that when you die, you can say, by faith, I led a thousand people to Jesus. By faith, we built 10,000 churches. By faith, we fed orphans. By faith, we fed widows. By faith, we took care of the poor. By faith, we built orphans. By faith, by faith, by faith. Very powerful weapon. 
Love, then, is the most powerful weapon of all because, obviously, love is part of the nature of God. God is love. And so anytime you walk in love, you're inside of God, and Satan cannot go inside of God. So anything you are surrounded with that is the unconditional love of God automatically puts you outside the reach of God, love being the most powerful weapon in the universe because when you do things in love, you don't fail. Love heals people, love redeems people, love changes people, love comforts people, love strengthens people, love is there for people, love is loyal and faithful, love is full of goodness, love is full of joy, love is full of peace, love is full of long-suffering, love is full of self-control, love is full of selflessness. So love becomes a very self-preserving weapon, and love changes people's hearts. That is a powerful weapon because with love, properly applied, you can get your whole family saved. And if you love people, then you can't hate them. And so the trouble of people is overcome. People are overcome when you love them. As soon as you love them, they're no longer an enemy. As long as you don't love them, they will become your enemy because they will threaten the things you love. And as soon as you love them, the threats go away. Hallelujah. Hug three people and say, hala, hala. We have the weapon of holiness, a very important weapon, one of the greatest weapons there is. So morality is, is you making wise decisions to avoid negative consequences. Morality can be, you can have morality one day and lose it the next day. Because it's a choice. It comes from your will. And so you just say, through will, you say, I choose not to murder this person. Because if I murder them, I'm going to prison for the rest of my life. I'm not going to see my wife or my husband or my children, my grandchildren. So I'm not going to kill them. So your morality is completely selective by your will. So, well, I don't think I'll commit adultery because I'll break the heart of my wife and my children and my grandchildren and all that. So you don't do it. It's when you become selfish that you don't care who you hurt. You don't care who you damage. Your morality goes out the window. Right? So morality is your, you deciding to line your life up with God's word. It's the first step of holiness. But holiness is you and God having fellowship. And while you're having that fellowship... You and God become one, and God reaches his hand inside you and removes the thing in you that loves the sin that is defiling your life. He simply takes it out so that when you open your eyes, you don't even have the desire to drink. You don't even have the desire to hurt people because you have become holy through an act of intimate fellowship with God. It's not produced by the will. It's produced by fellowship. Hallelujah. Amen. So those are those three weapons. I think I may have talked about them. I'm not sure, but I just wanted to recap uh, for you a little bit. And we're just going to go on with as many weapons as we can. We're looking at the weapon of obedience. Obedience is a powerful weapon found in Deuteronomy 28.2. If you obey, all these blessings will chase you and pursue you. So everybody look at somebody and say, you need to obey God. 
So when you don't obey God, all the curses come. So obedience brings blessings. Disobedience brings pain. So as you learn to obey God when you don't want to, then you learn to truly worship God. So that when you come to church to, together to sing to God, you come from a position of worship, not a position of disobedience. All week long, you've been rebelling against God, disobeying God, sinning in all kinds of ways, doing all kinds of stuff. Then you come to church to worship God from that position of disobedience. It changes the encounter you have with God if every time you come to church, you have to say, dear God, forgive me for being crazy this week. Fine, you're going to have to do that sometimes, but you just don't want to do it like every time. You know, you don't want your lifestyle to be disobedience. You want your lifestyle to be obedience. Obey the Lord. Satan cannot touch you when you're walking in obedience. You remain within the circle of the blood of Jesus. Obedience keeps you inside the hand of God. Hallelujah. So you don't want to just go to a bar and get drunk and have a one-night stand because you could get AIDS. And then you come back to church not realizing you just got AIDS from one night of stepping into Satan's territory because he already had the right person planted for you. Don't feel the love on that? I'm going to go right over here. Praise the Lord. Go on to the next point, Brother Ivan. Obedience then becomes a weapon because every time you obey, you increase your strength. Every time you obey, you multiply your endurance. Every time you obey, you increase the level of your anointing in life. Every time you disobey, you steal from yourself. Hallelujah. So we go then to Proverbs 18, 21. And here's what it says. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Everybody say it. Hallelujah. The power of life and death is in the tongue. So one of the greatest weapons is the weaponized mouth. So when your mouth is weaponized, that means that the words coming out of your mouth are producing miraculous results and keeping the enemy under your feet. Words, therefore, carry the breath of God or the breath of Satan. The Bible says in Psalm 22, God inhabits the praises of his people. So this becomes a very powerful weapon that your words are like a magnet that draw God into your life or a magnet that draws Satan and demons into your life. So God's first agenda as you get saved is to wash your heart out so that your language can change. God cannot bless your cussing. You're not going to just say, you son of a motherless goat, and feel the spirit of Jesus. You're going to fight with each other and argue and feel the presence of the Lord. None of that is going to happen. But when you use your mouth as a weapon, and you begin to declare God's word into your situation, and you begin to speak God's word into your situation, those words have the power to actually change 
the situation. This is called prophetic declaration. It is one of the weapons of the Holy Spirit that you have to have in your life. If you have a business that's floundering, you need to begin to use your language, like Jesus used his language to change the whole world. You have to use his language in your mouth, spoken by faith over a circumstance, a business, a situation, a human being, a body, or whatever. So you begin to prophetically declare my business was given to me by God, therefore it is going to prosper. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, I prophesy over my business that it will become what God said it would be, prosperous. I will have more work than I can handle. I will have more blessings than I can handle. I will have more of that because you begin to design the future by knowing the will of God. You can declare it. This doesn't work if you're just inventing things and God didn't tell you anything. You can't just say, I declare that I will have a Mercedes-Benz tomorrow. You're going to be disappointed. I don't like this house. It's only 4,000 square feet, and there's two of us after all. So I need 10,000 square feet. Not going to happen. So everything is based on the foundation of a relationship, and God speaks to you through his word and tells you this is my will for this situation. Now, Prophesy it and declare it. Amen? Isaiah 50, 13. You can prophesy that. All your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. Also, with words, you pray. Also, with words, very important, you speak healing language, the language that heals in your house. You tell your children that they're special, that they're unique, that they have been created by God for a special purpose, that they are beautiful and wonderful and amazing. And you speak these words to them all the time. You are reaffirming God's will for their life and speaking over them the truth with your mouth. You tell your wife that she's the only one in the whole world that could tolerate you. You speak to her and say, thank you for staying married to me. Thank you for loving me. And you are building constantly up. You're celebrating people with language. And by doing that, you are removing a lot of the warfare and a lot of the battles that you would have simply by using spiritual anointed words. This is how Jesus changed the world. He said things nobody had ever said. Once he said them, the whole world caught on fire to this day, the Bible is still the number one best-selling book in the history of the world. It sells close to 100 million copies every year. Why? Because it's not a book written by man. It's a book written by God. And because it's written by God, when you read it, something deep inside you is touched. That's how you know a book has been written by God is when you read it, it touches you. Now, this doesn't apply to novels that are not of God or things like that. And you cry over them because, you know, this person married this person or this person. You know, I'm not talking about emotional. I'm talking about deep inside, way deep in there, where when you're done, there's a deep satisfaction and a contentment that comes from heaven. It's not just something that, you know, elevates your emotions for romance and things like that. We're talking about God's book that he wrote 
It's the only book he wrote. It's the only book he will ever write. There are no other books God has written other than he helped people write books. But God himself wrote the Bible supernaturally through lots of different people. And so here are words. Think about this. All the pain you have from words since you grew up till today. Verbal abuse. Lack of affirmation. Lack of comfort. If you were raised in a home with a cussing father and an angry father, then all you heard was cussing coming at you, cursing coming at you, negative language coming at you. Satan loves that and feeds on it, and his demons are drawn to any form of violent talk. The Holy Spirit won't stay around where people are cussing each other out, cursing each other, calling each other's names, and hurting each other. The Holy Spirit won't be around. You're going to have to stop and repent and ask the Holy Spirit to come back, and you're going to have to start using language that honors the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful weapon. And there's many, many other forms of this weapon that, that you can use, but it is a very powerful weapon. It is something you can use on your own self. When I first got saved, this is what I used to do, and nobody taught me this. I just don't know where I picked it up. But as soon as I got saved, I would look in the mirror and say, you're going to be a great man of God. You're going to get people saved. You're going to get people baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're going to have the gifts of healing and signs and wonders and miracles. I don't care if you don't believe it right now. You're going to believe it. Right in the mirror, like a crazy person. But do you know what? Hearing that redesigned my expectations. And language redesigns what you're expecting for the future. It's like preaching. One of the great weapons of the Bible is preaching. Just simply preaching. Once you hear anointed preaching, you're never the same again. Because you've just heard something from another world. This is not just normal, boring people. This is like revelation on fire preaching that is shaking the foundations of your jail and breaking you out of jail and breaking the power of chains on you and separating you from bondage and breaking sin off you and causing joy to erupt and all kinds of a hallelujahs start coming out of you because you're in the midst of the anointing of preaching because preaching is one of the weapons you have to preach to the demons and declare that they're losing their authority over your family, that they can't take any of your children to hell, they can't take any of your grandchildren to hell, and that all the bondages of your family tree, you break it off in the name of Jesus with the power of language and the power of words. It's the funnel that you have to use to establish the authority of God in an area. And you say it as many times as you have to, over and over and over again. So the first thing you do is repent for using language that comes from the devil, like unbelief, negativism, complaining, griping, cussing, all of these things that don't exist in heaven. You're not going to take that language with you to heaven. Right? Jesus doesn't cuss. You know what I'm saying? 
He doesn't call you names. Hey, you blankety blank blank, how you doing today? He doesn't have the time to mingle with darkness. And he doesn't have the time to honor darkness in other people by imitating it. Hallelujah. I'm not saying you're not going to slip up, but I'm just saying there'll be a time where you'll be totally free as long as you confront it. Amen? All right. Go ahead and tell something. Say something nice to somebody around you that is really sincere. Go ahead and say something. Build them up. Encourage them. Say, you only have to pay me half of what you owe me. Whatever you want to say to encourage them, just go ahead and do it right now. Hallelujah. John 8.32, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is a weapon, because there's no way for you to get invaded inwardly by being deceived or delusional if you tell yourself the truth. Can you put the number two track on there? By telling yourself the truth, you can't ever be deceived. If you are a seeker of truth, then you will not be deceived. Sooner or later, God will lead you to the truth. This is how people who are trapped in cults come out of cults. It's because they become true seekers of the truth. They don't just settle for what anybody tells them. They go and seek the truth and test it to see if it's true. And at that point, they realize this is not right. This is wrong. This is not what the Bible says. This is against the Bible doing this. Because you have pot smoking churches. You have multiple wife churches. You have fornicating churches. You have all kinds of, uh, of uh, immoral things that people have now incorporated into their churches homosexuality, all forms of sexual behavior is acceptable in many churches now and called okay, even though the Bible is very clear about what is right and what is wrong. Hallelujah. So ask yourself, if you're a truth seeker, do you tell yourself the truth? Apply the truth to any situation, you will immediately end the warfare. The inner torment will end when you stop lying. Just stop lying. If your wife asked you, did you do that? Yeah. Why? I just didn't want to do it. You didn't want to do it. No. Oh. Oh. Oh, okay. But if you lie about it, then you get in a lot of trouble. Because God cannot bless lying. That's what the Bible says. Telling the truth, ugly truth and beautiful truth, telling both sides of the truth gives you the whole truth, and it sets you free. Start applying the truth to yourself. If everybody in your family thinks you're a monster, you are a monster. Well, no, I mean, my gosh, I'm not a monster. Seven people in your family who don't talk to each other think that you're a monster? You're a monster. And you need to be honest and say, 
I'm a monster. I need help. I need deliverance. I need to get set free. Bad opinions by many people about you being the same bad opinion is truth. It's what is going on. You might have a blind spot, but if you apply the truth and not be afraid of the truth, you simply say, hey, I'm a little bit of a witch and I need some deliverance. That's how you make progress. You're ruthless. Where you're saying, hey, I'm a little selfish. I get a little angry. I have fits of rage. Uh, you know, I need help. I'm asking Jesus to help me. Hallelujah. The truth will set you free. Tell that to somebody. Psalm 40, verse 11. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. You weren't able to find that? Yeah, it's called while we wait. Psalm 43, 3. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. All of these are very, very powerful and very important. So notice this scripture, 2 Thessalonians 2.10. Seek the truth, know the truth, speak the truth, and love the truth. So the truth only becomes a weapon when you love it. Not when you're afraid of it and avoid it at every chance you get, but when you love the truth. Because the best gift you give yourself is honesty about your own self. It's a very powerful thing. It's very rare to meet a person that's honest with themselves. It becomes a beautiful gift you give the people that are in your family. When they don't have to convince you you're crazy, you just say, hey, I'm crazy. God showed me, so you don't have to convince me. We're working on it. Hallelujah. Go ahead and hug a couple of people. Ask them if that's your original hair and say, wow, it's kind of plastered on. We go to the next weapon that is very powerful, and that is the weapon of repentance, found in Matthew 3.10. Put the axe to the root. Put the axe to the root. Bring forth fruit that matches your apology. Repentance, then, becomes a gift that you give yourself. Every time you repent, you activate a new beginning. So to repent is to love God. To say, dear God, forgive me for what I just did, said, and the way I just acted. I never want to do that again. I turn away from that behavior. I walk away from that behavior. I'll no longer stand in the place of that behavior. I don't want to have anything to do with that behavior. Repentance has also been removed from the body of Christ by many churches with the saying and thinking, you don't have to repent since God has already forgiven you ahead of time. Which is, of course, a heresy because you're not living in the future, you're living in today. And so if you don't repent, it means you don't change. And change 
is the only acceptable apology. Not words. Change. The way I know you repented is you changed. Well, how can the devil destroy your life if you repent from every temptation he throws at you? Every bad attitude. Everything. You just, glory to God, I want that out of my life. I don't want to have that. Sure, the journey may take a while. It may take a month. It may take a year. It may take two years before all of that poison DNA is miraculously healed by repenting. Your new nature takes over and your old nature is crucified by your walk with God and your obedience as anything Satan wants to put on you that is not of God, you say, I will not do that and I repent for that in Jesus' name. I am sorry I acted that way. That is not the way Jesus wants me to be. But if you're stubborn, hard-headed, and you decided at some point, I'm not repenting because your sins are worse than mine. You repent, and then I'll think about it. So godly people don't wait for someone else to repent first. They just say, hey, I was wrong. That's not the way to act. I don't want to be that way. This becomes a powerful weapon of self-defense, self-preservation, and longevity. How can the devil get a stronghold in you if you're going to repent? So you're, you're closing the door on Satan and opening the door to the Holy Spirit. Tell someone next to you, I repent for whatever I might do. Do you know that people can't go to heaven if they don't repent? Good job. People can't go to heaven if they don't repent. Nobody just goes into heaven carrying all their junk with them that they refuse to obey God about. At some point, you just have to say, Lord, I'm so sorry for this. Change my heart. Circumcise it. Cut out the part of me that loves this sin. Because I really want to love you. Isn't that what you did when you were an alcoholic and you said, I, I can't do this. I'm destroying myself and my family. Something brought you to the place where you just said, hey, I got to stop this. This is so bad for every aspect of my life. Repentance is the railway. It's the train. It takes you to a, a new start and a new beginning. Satan only has authority over you while you're walking in disobedience to him, to God. Then he can manipulate you. But if you're not, then he can't touch you. He can't get a stronghold. He can't addict you. He can't develop a bad habit for your life. We go to this next weapon in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Forgiveness is a powerful weapon. How can you be bitter if you forgive people? How can you divorce yourself from people when you have forgiven them? 
How can you say, what you said hurt my feelings? I never want to talk to you again as long as I live. Because that's your genetic makeup. You're a person that cuts people off as soon as they offend you. You're done with them. Well, you're not going to be able to be used by God since everybody's probably going to offend you that God calls you to minister to. So for a man of God or a woman of God, forgiveness becomes a very powerful tool. You have to learn how to forgive people. Sometimes God. You have to learn how to forgive yourself. And most of all, you have to learn how to receive forgiveness from God. Forgiveness prevents the diseases of cancer of the soul. Where your soul becomes cancerous with bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment and anger and rage and even murder. People that murder people, especially out of anger and rage, normally end up in prison. Because there's an inward seething hate becomes very poisonous and destructive. So the Holy Spirit calls us. He says, come to Calvary and sit at my feet while I teach you how to forgive me. So what God does then is he puts you in school. He says, I'm going to put you in the school of forgiveness. So I'm going to send people to treat you bad. If you have a crazy husband or a crazy wife, he really doesn't have to send anybody because you live with them. <laughs> and they become the shortest, the shortest route to Christ-likeness because they're constantly acting bad. And you're constantly having to forgive them about everything. And if you're a, a perfectionist and that kind of person, then they're driving you crazy. You're going to have to find God or you're going to go crazy because they just habitually do everything that bugs you in every way. The way they walk, the way they talk, the way they dress, the way they sit, the way they eat, the way they smell, everything. When you become a person who cannot forgive, you will be cannibalized by all the imperfections of all the people that enter your life. You are going to be a victim till the day you die. Unless you learn how to take those people Some of them you can't get rid of. They're not going anywhere. They're staying there till they die or you die. Praise the Lord. Think about how many people have missed heaven because they wouldn't forgive. So unforgiveness becomes unforgiving. When you forgive, you open the windows of heaven. When you forgive, you remove Satan's voice from your head. 
When you forgive, you heal your soul. When you forgive, you usher sweetness back into your life. When you forgive, complaining stops. Because the first sign of unforgiveness is complaining about yourself. And there's a difference between complaining and acknowledging the bad behavior of a human being. It's not the same. You can acknowledge, wow, that was crazy, out of control behavior. Didn't remind me of Jesus at all. Reminded me of the devil. They're always unforgiveness. Diseases are being bred on the inside of your soul. Raise your hand like this. Say, I forgive you, human race. Come on, everybody. Say, I forgive all the politicians. I forgive all the politicians. The White House to the outhouse. Everybody said, Hallelujah. I, listen, we become the slaves of the people we refuse to forgive. Set yourself free. Hallelujah. Because whoever it is that's holding you up, they will not be here eventually. And there are people who hold on to unforgiveness even after those people die. 10, 20, 30, 40 years, they hold unforgiveness towards those people. You cannot fix the abuse that somebody somebody and say, I forgive you. Go ahead and hug them. Don't just pat them. Give them a hug. Say, I forgive you. Turn to the person next to you and say, forgive me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Tell someone, I, I'm, a, I'm a forgiver. I don't hold grudges. I'm not going to hold grudges. Here is a powerful verse for this next weapon, and this is the weapon of remembering what God tells you. It is really important that you not forget what God tells you, that he spoke personally to you. Do any of you believe God has anything to tell you? How many of you believe that God may have more than one thing to tell you in your lifetime? Huh? How many of you think there might be 20 things he might want to tell you in your lifetime? How about 50? Could it be 100? Is it possible that God has 200 things to tell you before you go to heaven? Could there be 300 or 400 or 500? How many of them do you have written down? And how many of them can you quote by memory? If God has something to teach you, what is it? 
and are you going to forget it by tomorrow? So a weapon of remembering becomes a very powerful weapon because anything you remember has the authority to keep changing you. If you forget the solution God gave you and the answer God gave you, it is of no benefit past the moment that you heard it. You want to remember what God told you 20 years and 30 years and 40 years from now. So how is remembering a weapon? Because what you do is you memorize what God spoke to you personally. You write down when you're hearing Pastor Robert preach, you wait till you hear the explosive revelation that you know is for you. And you write that down. When you hear any preacher, when you read your Bible, when you're hearing worship music, you're waiting. And when you hear it, it jumps out at you. You start crying or it moves you. You write it down. If you go to church 50 times a year and you only hear two things every service, that's 100 things that God spoke to you in one year. And if he keeps doing that year after year, you could end up with hundreds of revelations that if they changed your life, they're probably going to be able to change someone else's life. But if you're too lazy to write them down, why would God speak to you anymore if he already knows you're not going to remember what he tells you? have a photographic memory is that why you have a photographic memory you can remember like the whole Bible by just reading it once oh I read the Bible once I don't know it all no there are very specific things God's going to say to you that are meant to redesign you from the inside out and you when you come to church be a responsible believer write it down or put it in your phone Establish your category, things God has told me that I need to memorize. Put them down. Begin today. And memorize a couple of things by next week. Four, five, one. Whatever it is God tells you. Don't just listen to the Bible and cheer and then forget. But listen to the Word of God. Listen to the things and say, you know, God spoke two very powerful things to me. In some cases, it may be ten. 12 or 20 in one night and you're like wow I can't stop writing the revelations God has given me and then you become a walking powerhouse of healing revelations and then you share it with people when you meet them here's what God told me today this is That's called being a born-again Christian. That's how you talk to each other. You talk to each other about what God has talked to each other about. And you share those things. When the children of Israel came into the promised land, it says that they, God gave them houses they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant, orchards they didn't plant 
olive trees, olive oil. He gave them springs, fountains, and wells they had not dug. It says they reveled in the goodness of God, grew fat, and forgot God. And they forgot from whence they came. You need to remember where you came from. You need to remember all the ugly things about what God has delivered you from. You need to remind yourself regularly, I once was lost. This is how it was. But I'm now saved. Don't make your salvation worse than your lack of salvation. I simply not remembering the instructions and answers and solutions of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. The first word God ever gave me, and I have notebooks and notebooks, the first one He ever gave me, you are my favorite. That was the first thing God ever told me. <laughs> he said, of all the people in the special for a while and I realized oh everybody's special everybody's your favorite okay I guess I can tolerate that as long as I'm still like your favorite the second thing God ever told me well, I, I remember it as if it just happened he said these words and I trust you library intact of the things you need to remember that the Lord God Almighty has spoken to you. This will be an arsenal and a weapon. Hallelujah. Satan can't deceive you if you already have an answer to accusations that he will send you. Amen. Go ahead and hug several people. Reach into their pockets out whatever you find. So remembering then requires memorization. It then requires meditation. And then it requires publication. If God said it to you, it is for you first, and it's for somebody second. Memorize, meditate, publicize. Publicize doesn't mean make a book, but it means tell people. Tell people, this is what the Lord said to me about my problem. This is how I got over my problem. This is how we fixed our marriage. This is how our children are all saved. This is what the Lord told us about our children, and we have prophesied it over them since they were in the womb. Now they are actually the fulfillment of those prophecies. They're all walking in. anything out of it? Just a little bit. I'll be laying hands on all of you one at a time and asking the Lord to do something divine in your life. 
Everybody say it. Thank you, Jesus. A lot of people in churches right now are getting uncomfortable because of the lack of power and the lack of what they see in the Bible in manifestation. Hallelujah. Will you say out loud with both hands lifted up, my best years are ahead. Most effective years for him. My best life, full of the Holy Spirit, is still yet to come. Thank you, Almighty God, for forgiving me for all my sins and teaching me how to walk with you in power, in confidence, in love, and in authority. I plan to change somebody's world. Everybody said hallelujah. We go to this next weapon that is a very powerful weapon found in Deuteronomy 13 and verse 19. I said before you heaven and earth, blessings and curses, life and death. Choose the blessing. And this is a weapon of making the right decisions. Choices are powerful. You are the product of the choices you've made based on those that have exercised influence over you. You chose to do some of the things that made you unhappy. You chose that because you were ignorant. But now you've got to use choices as a weapon. You've got to say, okay, I'm going to make a choice right now that is wise and good and pleases God. I'm going to reject that choice, which I want to make because it, it satisfies some level of my carnality. So I'm going to reject that, and I'm going to choose to do this that God is telling me. So you have to manage your choices because some choices that you make out of foolishness, presumption, arrogance, greed, or lust ends up turning around and ripping you to pieces. Day before yesterday, my daughter, Abby, 
was a fireman, uh, EMT as well, and all of that. She went out on a call yesterday, uh, day before yesterday, went out on a call, and it was an assault. And so they went there, all the fire, everything, they all there, they're there, and they had to wait for the police, and the police came. There's a, a girl in a car, and she had been severely beat up by her boyfriend, beat up back, bleeding everywhere, eyes cut, blood all over the place, just beat her up. So he took off running. Some of the policemen looked and they saw him over there and they all took off. So she had some alone time with her. And she said, what, is, what happened? Is my boyfriend beating up? She said, is this the first time? No, he's never been with Well, how long have you been with this man? One year. Are you going to continue to be with this man? No, I'm done with this man. I'm done with him. So the policeman comes back with the man to the girl and says, okay, so you want to press charges? She says, no. This is a bad choice. This is a bad choice. In the first place, never tolerate somebody hitting you. get beat up, possibly killed, or be alone. Bad choice. So they all just looked at her like she was from Mars. That you're really not going to press charges. No. You realize your nose is broken. you got a lot of issues going on. He almost, you know, he really hurt you bad. Yeah, I know. She wouldn't do it. So they uncuffed him and let him go. Bad choice. Your whole future depends on the choices you make. Now, I'm not saying God can't lead you to forgive somebody if they change or repent or any of those things. But I'm saying it's obvious when somebody is not going to stop doing it. You've got to make choices that lead you to peace and prosperity, healing. many bad choices did you make growing up? How many things have you done that you wish you could go back and undo? Anybody? Huh? How many things did you get involved in you wish you hadn't gotten involved with? How much have you lost because you made a decision that cost you a lot? Some of that can be irreversible. So this is a weapon choices you make. Do not make a choice because of pressure. Do not make a choice because of pleasure. Do not make a choice because you want to please yourself. Do not make a choice out of fear. Do not make a choice out of intimidation. Do not make a choice out of greed. Do not make a choice because there's nothing else to do in Make a choice because it's the will of God and you want to please God. Make your choice like that. Hallelujah. Be smart. This is a weapon. You can begin to change your life tonight by the choices you make.
Amen? Very powerful weapon. Very important. Very necessary. And something that has to continue all of your life for the rest of your life. My last point to give you for tonight. And that is the weapon of getting educated. Where you are weak and defeated. Learning is a weapon. Because when you learn, you increase all your possibilities of success in the future. So wherever you are ignorant, you make a decision that you're going to learn how to walk in this area the way God does it. You say, well, I'm really bad with people. Okay, educate your way out of it. Well, you know, I'm really bad in business. Okay, educate your way out. Well, I'm really bad, you know, with my children. Okay, educate your way out. Well, you know, I, I, I'm really weak when it comes to, like, spiritual things. Well, educate your way out. Well, I just don't understand how God does things. Educate your way out. It's all in the Bible. Every aspect of life is answered in the Bible. Educate your way out. Well, I don't know how to really get along with my brother-in-law. Educate your way out. My mother-in-law drives me crazy. Educate your way out. I don't know how to have peace. Educate. I don't know how to have sweet sleep. Educate your way out. I don't know how to defeat these appetites. Educate your way out. I don't know how to overcome these temptations. Educate your way out. I don't know how to find the right husband. Educate your way out. Don't just marry a man with two legs. That's a man. Let's get hitched. however continue in the things you have learned become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them praise the Lord every success that you have in life is the product of divine knowledge which you have acquired learned practiced and perfected that is the bottom line you are not less important than any other human being you have the same opportunities to learn and become great. God doesn't say to this person, you're going to be great on the earth, and to this person, you're going to be invisible and insignificant. He doesn't say that to anyone. He says, the choice is yours. You can be as great and influential and effective as you want to be based on what you learn. But if you're lazy, to put in the time and the work because it's time and work i mean it's hours it's years of learning but the more you learn the more effective you become and the more lives you can change this is an important thing praise god i want you to keep it in your mind that there are areas of your life right now where you do not have the knowledge to succeed you're uneducated in the knowledge to get along with your husband or wife, that is something that you have to really learn from God. You can't just apply, apply the rules some other person applied to yours and it works. Not like that. Everybody's very specific. And 
going to have to learn how do I make this person feel cherished and feel loved and feel appreciated? What does this person consider love? That is a real big question. to repent, those words given to you by God will follow you into heaven. 
be there as testimonies. While you accuse God for not loving you like he loves somebody else, the Lord will bring all those things up. Say, no, this is actually what I had planned for you. But you refused to repent and make your life right. Hallelujah. So because of the mercy of God, we receive ministry from God. So like I'm looking here, and I'm looking at a big candle right there, flickering candle over your head. And the Lord says, candles are man-made, but light is divinely given. So because you say to the Lord, I want to do your will, and I want to know you, God, in every way, God says, I will put a candle, a light, some truth over you that you will say, this has liberated me made me an effective person. Because as you want to serve the Lord and love Him and be effective, the Lord says, I will give you revelation upon revelation upon revelation. Day by day by day. And you will never walk in a dark room. Darkness will not be your friend. God has driven the darkness out of your soul. So it's time for you to burst out light the Holy Spirit. Put your hands like this. So from your head to your feet, we bless you with divine health and the holy blessings of Jesus. I received that for myself. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So how are you doing? Good. Well, I want to say a couple of things to you very quickly. Uh, and this is about your family tree, like relatives and others. God is at work to use you.
when life devalues you, when life takes things away, God takes revenge by lifting your self-worth and your value to such a high place that Satan's words can never reach the place that God reaches. The Lord says, I of what the 
Lord is doing to you right now. He is sanctifying you. We, all of us together, are stretching our hands out and we are consecrating you to the service of God. You are not going to make a mistake.
repentance takes the form of apologizing to another person. Make sure you do that. Or it may be you're repenting for not forgiving someone. You're repenting for some kind of behavior that's not good for your health. Physically, emotionally, standing up now but let's all say the prayer of repentance together dear God in heaven I apologize for this behavior that is not pleasing to you I repent for it God I turn away from it I give it up I let it go This thing that I am repenting for is not blessed. It is cursed. Therefore, I apologize. I repent. I turn away from it. Now, God, I embrace your will in this area of my life by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the holy name of Jesus, I will no longer be bound up in this area of my life, nor will I justify it, nor will I make room for it. I cast it out. I rebuke it. I resist it. And I submit to God. In Jesus' holy name, I forgive myself. And I now enter a new path in this area where I can obtain the promises and blessings of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and thank Him a little bit. Turn that up a bit. Just thank Him a little bit. Just thank Him a little bit. Say thank you, Lord. I want you to sit down for a moment. And I want to do something. If you had a miscarriage, I would like you to stand at any point in your life. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you that your children are not gone. Your children are waiting for you in heaven. They are children. They are children by God that did not have the opportunity to be born. And they're in heaven. I don't know if they're grown or if they're little. It's possible that your children could be waiting for you to get there before they grow up. Maybe they're full grown. I tend to think they're waiting. you have one child in heaven, some of you have more. Your family is not just your children here. It's also the children that you miscarried. So, 
I want to pray over you that had these miscarriages. We're all going to pray over you. Would you, if you're near somebody and you can touch them, if you're a female, touch a female. If you're a man, touch a man. But we're, we're going to believe with you that there will be nothing left, no scar will be left from that event happening in your life. So how many miscarriages have you had? Think of that. That's how many children you have. So Lord, we now lay hands on these women that have had miscarriages. We ask you, God, to touch them deeply since all children automatically go to heaven. All children automatically go to heaven. It doesn't matter whether there are children of a Buddhist family, children of atheists, a child, if it dies before the age of accountability, goes straight to heaven. So your children are in heaven. So you want to make sure you get there. Don't take any chances. So now we pray over you to be healed from the top of your head down to the soles of your feet from any damage that that miscarriage caused in your mind, will, or emotions, or any damage that that caused to your relationship with God. Perhaps you said, why? Why did this happen? And maybe that's sh that shook you and shook your faith in God. So we now bless you in the name of Jesus, that you will be at peace, and that you will thank God there is a heaven, and you can see those children again. By the authority invested in me as a servant of God, I bless you that whether it's in your body, or in your soul, or in your mind, or in your emotions, or in your brain, that you will be healed, and not affected by that in the name of Jesus for the rest of your life. That you will now have joy in knowing that you will be reunited with your children when you get to heaven. And then you'll spend all of eternity enjoying your family. Everybody say thank you God that there is a heaven in Jesus name. Amen. Can you say thank you, Lord? God is good. The church is good. And the presence of the Lord is good. And God is kind. We never want to forget that. Amen? So thank you all for being here tonight. We want to just praise the Lord for having a, a beautiful morning, a great evening. Thank you for coming to church. Have a fantastic week. Stay in soldier mode. Tolerate nothing. Tolerate nothing that comes from the devil. Tolerate nothing. Amen? Use the name. Use the word. Use the blood. Use your authority that God gave you as a believer. You have authority. 
use that authority. Walk by faith. Walk in love. Walk in holiness. Satan can't approach you when you're in those positions. Hallelujah. Well, give someone your last hug. Say, this is your last chance to bless me tonight with an offering. Go ahead and tell them. You can give me an offering just as a sign of love. Will everybody give a big hand to Pastor Robert? Come on up here, Brother Robert. And I just want to, before I do that, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Robert for his many years of friendship, not just to me, but also a friend to my wife and a friend to my children. And of course, how can I thank you enough for what you do for the orphans that we are rescuing? We're up to almost 200 children, including 37 college children. And, and you know, we're getting, we're really getting some serious cases that require a lot of prayer. We, we have a little girl right now. Her name is Daisy. Five years old. We only had her four days, and then she had a cold. So our doctors did full tests, and they found that she had pneumonia. And her heart was three times larger than it was supposed to be, and there was a hole in it. So actually, on our way to the to the hospitals, her heart stopped. been in the hospital now for about a month and uh, you know they had her on ventilators and then she got pneumonia now we need her to fully wake up and just come out of it they need to do the surgeries and repair what needs to be repaired and it is she's literally holding on to life so we lift her up right now we lift Daisy up Save her life, Lord. Heal her body. Rescue her, Lord. Rescue her, Lord. Give her a long life in Jesus' name. By your power, Lord, we ask it in your holy name. And then many other stories and things of that nature. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you again later. Have a beautiful year. Here's Pastor Walt, uh, Pastor. Yeah, it really makes you feel good.
Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.